Welcome to the Wisdom Parlor, a thoughtful discussion of important ideas among people who are committed to succeeding in life. This is a gathering of leaders from a variety of industries, and our role here is to help you reach the top 1% of your field of choice. I'm Jim Cathcart, so come with me and let's discover how much more successful you could be. Welcome back to the Wisdom Parlor. I'm Rich Bontrager, better known as Trigger. Today, we're going to be kicking off the Wisdom Parlor, and we have a great question to pose to everyone to interact with and talk about with Jim today. The day you took charge of your life, and we may not think about that too much, but we're going to dive into today. And if that's not enough, Jim's going to have a bonus thought or two about see something, say something. So pay attention today. A lot of great stuff coming. As a reminder, as we start to open up the Wisdom Parlor today, the forum is for us to discuss important issues. It's not a debate for a forum or political or religious issues. It's a place where wisdom will emerge among people who are committed to making the world a better place. Please, no self-promotion, no campaigning for any company or any issue, just a really thoughtful discussion. By the way, the sponsor of the show is the Cathcart Institute Experts Academy, a 12-month membership that results in people receiving the CPE, the Certified Professional Expert Designation. And to book a call with Jim and determine if you are a good fit for this exclusive program, go to schedule.com backslash Cathcart. We'll have that in the chat in just a little minute for those who are live with us. Also, check out the free book from Jim, What to Do When You Are a Speaker. Get that free.cathcart.com. And now, well, let me introduce Jim Cathcart. He is our host. He has authorized 25 books, delivered 3,400 highly recognized paid lectures all around the world. He's uh, reached the top 1% of the 1% of the world of professional speakers. Jim Cathcart is a leader, influencer, mentor, and just back from the National Speakers Association. Here is Jim Cathcart. Wow. Thank you, Trigger. Wow. That's awesome. And by the way, Rich Montrager, Trigger, our our show host here, was recently dubbed by the National Small Business Council for their leadership, leadership council. What was what's the specific position? It is their leadership board, their leadership council. So I will be uh, dealing with people here in the Washington, D.C. area, helping to make shape small business policy by being an advocate for small business with the Congress and legislative through this exclusive group. So very fun to be a spokesman for fellow yeah, small business people. That's, that's some pretty heavy company. And by the way, I want to acknowledge Ramon Ray. And uh, Ramon was the master of ceremonies. He was the main stage big deal guy for the National Speakers Association annual convention in Orlando about a week ago. They call that convention influence. And he was just uh, like a a bolt of lightning of energy throughout the whole program. And he was the one who brought on the speakers and, you know, did all the audience warm up and the interaction and the announcement of the special moments. And he just he truly, truly made it work. And so bravo, Ramon. Well done, my friend. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. You bet. And by the way, Jim, what were you doing there? You you had something to do with some of the activities of 50 years of NSA. That's true. 50 NSA National Speakers Association is 50 years old. And I joined it in 1976. So it was just a, a toddler when I joined and had about 200 members. Today, it's thousands, a few thousand members, plus thousands more worldwide because we spawned the Australian, the the professional speakers of England, the Canadians, you know, other associations all over the earth. And uh, that's thriving under the heading of Global Speakers Federation. And I was privileged to be the president of the National Speakers Association long ago in 1988 and 89. But I'm still very active. And so at the national convention, I was on stage a number of times in token roles and symbolic roles and in meaningful roles. And so it was a it was a, a hoot, that's for sure. And one of the things that stood out about that, it, it, the convention had 1,200 people in attendance. 
and there were speakers and authors and humorists and entertainers and educators and researchers and gurus and trainers and facilitators and every kind of a, if you make money with the sound of your voice, one of those, right? I mean, they were, that's, that's who was in attendance. And it began with a special pre-conference event that was hosted by Dr. Nito Kubain, president of High Point University. And he brought in a number of people, one of whom was Mark Randolph, founder of Netflix. And he had sent Marshalls, sent short for Cynthia Marshall, who's the president of the Dallas Mavericks, the CEO, and um, a number of other people. And so many of us who arrived early sat in on that session for three hours and picked the brains and, and got the wisdom of those folks. And man, some of the things they they shared were just phenomenal. Um, what got me about it was how similar those people were to people I've known as I grew through my own career. And uh, Mark Randolph, the co-founder of Netflix, one of the things he said he said, you know what drives me is hearing that'll never work. He said, I'm instinctively curious about success. And I, th- when someone says that, I'm intrigued and I want to go figure out how to make it work. And uh, he said, I'm a morning person. I, I like it when the house is quiet and I read and think. And I was a mediocre student. I never had the risk taking taken out of me. Uh, I thought that was pretty clever. And uh, let's see, there was one other thing I wanted to share about that. Oh, the next, one of the next speakers on that program said, you can invent. That's not a complete transaction. If you invent something, de-risk it. In other words, take the risk out of buying it, owning it, using it. That's a cool way to think about that I'd never thought about before. And uh, so many, many great things came out of that and many amazing presentations, technology that would blow your mind, holographic entire shows, regular stand-up speakers like Don Hudson. He was probably a road guard for the wise men. He's he's been around that long. A road guard, (laughs) by the way, for those who hadn't been in the military, is when a bunch of troops are running down the jogging or marching down the road. One person runs ahead and blocks traffic at the next intersection until they get through and then runs to catch up. Don Hudson has been a member of NSA since it started in 1973. And he was the youngest president of the group back in like 76, the year I joined. And Don, though he is my age and, and a very well seasoned speaker with lots of books and lots of history of success, got up and did a keynote with no slides, just a microphone and him for those 1,200 people and rocked the house. Love it. What, what that proves to me is that all the flash, all the AI, all of everything else, which we saw in many of the other presentations, is helpful and amazing and wonderful, but it's not essential. You don't have to have it. There you go, Robin. Yes. Thank you. Uh, You definitely don't have to have it. And there was one panel of four presenters, and it was Mark Sharonbrock, Connie Podesta, let's see, Lenora Billings-Harris, and who was the other one? Willie Jolly? Willie Jolly. Willie Jolly. Yeah. And they each got up and told about the openings that they do for their speeches and the closings they do for their speeches and illustrated it. But they they told, you know, they did an example of it and then picked it apart and said, here's how that works and here's how it was created and what it was like in its infancy and what it became over time and how it became what it is today. And here's how I use it differently for different audiences. And wow, that that session rocked the house. And we just had session after session like that. So you got a comment, Trigger? Well, I was just going to say, speak about the house. I think the house is filled up pretty well. Should we get into this? Because I've been noodling on this question. You gave me this before NSA. Yeah. You told me the topic, the day you took charge of your life. I've been noodling on this, thinking like, what, what a great question, because 
I was just talking with some other people about their businesses and how it gets out mm-hmm. of control. They never took control. They just jumped in and went for a spin. I think yeah. it's a great question to pause and say, when did you take your cho- control, can charge? Have yeah. you taken charge? So, yeah. Jim, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. You bet. Well, the reason I was doing the setup with NSA is that in those sessions, out of those 1,200 people, there is always one or more for whom that's a moment that their whole belief system got rocked. And they went, I never thought about it like that. Oh, my gosh. Well, that changes everything. Wow. Sorry, I got to be alone. You know, they need time to think and let that idea (laughs) sink in and start defining its meaning to them. Now, you've all heard my story. You know what the day was that I took charge of my life. It, it, It was just after hearing Earl Nightingale on the radio in 1972 when I was a clerk at the Housing Authority. So that the thought that day was with one extra hour a day of focused study in your chosen field, repeated for five years, the cumulative effect of those 1,250 plus hours of study would make you a national expert in that particular field. It had never occurred to me before that day that my life could be significant, that I could make a difference, that I could be somebody. But from that moment, I was thinking, game changer. I need time to think, you know, (laughs) excuse me. And I pondered that for weeks and then decided, okay, I'm going to make it happen. And I became fanatically dedicated to that and I made it happen. So for you, how many of you, how many of you say, yep, for me, there was a day, there was a specific experience in my life that was the turning point for me to take charge of my own life. Okay, so several said yes, and and Dennis shook his head no, he he didn't think it was a particular day. What, Dennis, let me explore that for a minute. What I know that clearly you took charge of your own life and have made a big, big, big difference in how you live your life just through intentional re- thinking, restructuring, re-skilling yourself to be able to have the kind of life you want. What was that transition period or process for you? I I might have to think about that for a while. There may have been a moment, but I've never felt not in control. Mm. Uh, With the exception of that period that you know of, Jim, with uh, the board, there was about a two-year period where it just wasn't good, and I finally got got through with that. But I'd have to explore that further. I've always felt in control. Now, that doesn't mean I've I've necessarily gone through the day or a week without worry. It doesn't mean that I don't think I don't have things on my mind, and it doesn't mean that I sometimes have to sit and and, and say to myself, Dennis, you got to get off your butt and do things. You're not really doing what you're capable of, and and I have those moments too. But when that happens, I I get up and, and take care of it. Outstanding. Thank you for that. And by the way, notice that he says, I say to myself, right? Yeah. I say to myself. So that means he's directing himself. Okay. But let me pose a question. This is in my book, Mentor Minutes. But I want to pose a question that I think a philosophically very important question. Where are you? Where's the you that instructs the other you? Where are you? You know, some people say, well, I'm right here in this bag of skin that I wear around, right? It's me. That's, that's uh, my locus is within the, the package that I was born into. Okay, fine. Geographically, that's true. Now, where are you? Are you in your heart? Are you in your brain? Are you in your behaviors? Or is there a greater you that transcends all of those? Because right. you know, if you look at you as mind, then you're the thinking part, right? If you look at you as body, then th- that's vastly different. But if you look at you as the spirit 
soul, however you want to characterize it, that inhabits that, that is the director of all that, that's a very different way of looking at yourself. And that means you can reshape the other parts of you in ways that are meaningful. Hmm. Robin, you had a comment. No, I just was agreeing. I was just, okay, good. <laughs> the other day we did this in the going pro uh, discussion and Robin started telling his story and Lord, it was like watching a movie hearing him tell his story. Well, I can tell you that if you want to. Well, give us an abbreviated version of that. Yeah. How about I give you some visuals because like, wow. like trigger, I, I kind of looked at some of this today. It was in 1996. I was uh, a television producer with my mentor brought me into this world. I was from the music side and he was producing a travel show, a new travel show and wanted me to come join him. And I did five years later, we we're doing travel shows and fishing shows. Yet we were all musicians and really loved the passion of music. And uh, we were doing things for TNN, the Nashville network, the home of country music. TNN and um, Turner news network. Yeah. Yep. The Nashville network. Oh, the and Nashville so, um, Network. Okay. The Nashville Network, the home of country Tennessee. music. Yeah, not Turner, yeah. Tennessee. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I, I brought the, I was a, a senior producer and I came to the team and said, what if we do a behind the scenes look at country music artists on the road? We've all been on the road before. We know what that's like. And then we kind of threw that around and, and said, okay, go think about it and come back. And so I came back and I was looking for artists. And I'm, what about Trisha Yearwood? Do you guys know who Trisha Yearwood They say, oh, say, yeah, yeah. So we got a meeting with TNN and said, what about doing uh, this idea? And they looked at us as travel producers and fishing show producers. They didn't really know our full background. So I said, well, can we try? And they finally said, okay, we'll let you do a 30-minute pilot. So this right here is Miss Trisha Yearwood. Yep. Uh, at the time, she was the female artist of the year, the new artist of the year, and she had three number one hits already. Uh, She's in Love with the Boy was her very first hit. Yeah. And you might know her now in the fact that she is Mrs. Garth Brooks yep. for like 20 years now. Well, Tricia has gone on to have a huge career. 26 Grammy nominations, 18 Grammy wins, 10 number one hits, and 24 CMA awards. And that's my little crew right there. We did a series called Full Access on Tour. That 30-minute pilot turned into a full episode, which opened the door. But I have to step back a second and say, the real magic happened when I had to book her. And Ken Cragen was the um, was the manager of Lionel Richie, and he did Hands Across America and We Are the World with Quincy Jones. He was a major icon in the world. Oh, yeah. And I was scared to death to think about me, little guy in Dallas, Texas, on this little mini co company, Morningstar Entertainment Group, having to call him. And so I finally just boned up and Bill, my mentor, just, you know, you can do it, buddy. You can do it. Just get in there, make the call. <laughs> so I got on the phone. And I said, okay, I got to act real positive. I said, hi, uh, the lady answered. This is Jeannie. This is um, Jeannie Ken Craig's office. Hi, Jeannie. This is Robin in Dallas. Uh, is Ken available for a call real quick? Just like, matter of fact, like I know him. She goes, I'm sorry, who's this? She said, this is Robin with Morning Star Entertainment in Dallas. Is, is Ken available for a moment? She goes, hold on a second. I'm expecting, expecting her to come back and say no. Uh, he'll call you back. Or what's your you number? Think what's you are call? right. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Yep. Next thing I know, I hear this voice. Hey, this is this is this is uh, Ken. Hey, Robin, what's up? I'm freaking out, you know, and I don't know what to do. I'm just gonna go. Hey, Ken, listen, uh, Robin from Morningstar, have got an opportunity for you. We just got a confirmation from TNN to do a new series, a series of specials, and we'd love for Tricia to be on as our pilot. Would you be interested in that? Let me just uh, confirm with you real quickly. It's a very positive PR piece. It's unlike, uh, it's not like a 60 minutes expose or anything. It's really a behind the scenes look on the road. We would love to have Trisha on. He was real quiet. Yeah. Thought about it. It's like TNN. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be a primetime special. All right, let me call you back tomorrow. I'll talk to Trisha and see what I said. See what she thinks. An hour and a half later, got a call back. And he said, it's a go. Here's her manager, her road manager. You got to, because I told him I needed to go out on the road with her and scout with her for a day and a half or two days. And uh, so, long story short, that opened the door to, for us to do the show, uh, Full Access on Tour, behind the scenes with Trisha Yearwood. And then Travis Tritt, George Jones, Tammy Wynette, Vince Gill, 
uh, Brooks and Dunn, Garth, um, uh, George Jones and Tammy Wynette, a whole host of people. But the real kicker after that was that the end of our main interview inside Trisha's episode, I had promised her that we were different. Our crew was different. A lot of the crews in the time were very brash and very rude and very, you know, you got to do it my way or the highway. Well, the point of full access on tour was to be a behind the scenes, a fly on the wall. And so I went out and spent two days with her uh, on the bus and traveling around with them and just promised her and told her that this is how we would we would do it. And I wanted to observe everything around it. Came back and kind of wrote the idea, sent it back to them. They approved it. And at the end of our prime interview, which is in the middle of the show, it's the highlight piece. It's in, always in the middle of the Coliseum when activity is going around. It's behind the scenes. So activity is going. And after our, our 20 or 30 minute interview that we intercut throughout the show, there's a poignant moment where we're wrapping up and Bill and I are the ones that are doing the interviews. And we're on the set and we're wrapping up the interview and our cameras are still rolling. She goes, Robin, you were right. You can stay. You guys are fun. That comment was cemented to me by virtually every artist I reached out to. And when Trisha Yearwood gave the thumbs up to this TV crew that no one had ever heard of because we were doing fishing shows and an RV travel show, got us all those artists, Brooks and Dunn, uh, Vince Gill, um, yeah. George Jones, Hemi Wynette, yeah. Joe Diffie. It went on and on and on, which ended up leading us to me doing all of these television shows with other artists and doing 300 hours of broadcast television and NASCAR 50th anniversary. And yeah. it, it was Jordan, the whole just thing. an amazing career. And it all happened because of that time with Ken Cragen. And then with that comment that Trisha Yearwood made, kid you not. That's awesome. I'd like to get observations from the other folks here about what was noteworthy about what Robin just shared. And I told you it was going to be like a movie. Yep. <laughs> well, I, I, I think part of what it is, is he stepped into the moment and didn't flinch because, again, he expected to call though the he day was after. Scared. And I was he scared. expected to be blown off. Yeah. And he did get blown off. He got introduced. And that moment when he says, hi, Robin, I'm sure he probably went, who's he talking to? <laughs> I'm, I'm holding the phone. Exactly. Who's, who's he talking to? Yeah. But instead, he just went forward. And I think a lot of taking charge and finding that moment is it is when something drops in our lap. We have a choice to take charge and grab it, or we have the choice to let go and go, I'm not ready for it. And mm -hmm. I think Robin just stepping into it, taking charge of that as if you belong there, I think that's part of the magic of it. I agree. I agree. Other observations, Lisa? Opportunity knocked and Robin confidently walked through that door. And Robin, what I have found is I love all these systems and everything, but here's what I'm all about. I'm just all about getting out there, meeting new people, smiling, being helpful, being of service, and things have unfolded. My biggest yeah. three accounts, I have no rhyme or reason that I followed this system. Mm -hmm. Yes, all three of them took two or more years. But as long as I feel like I'm out there doing good, being a good person, having a good life. Jim's even said that before. Yeah. Things yeah. will happen. Systems are great. I'm not discarding systems. Yeah. But when opportunity presents itself and you're ready and you walk through that door and that's what you did, my friend, and kudos to you. Yeah, bravo, bravo. When Thank I you. did Thank last you. August, Toastmasters keynote opening general session keynote, Lisa was there in the audience. Thank you for that. My message was be a magnet, not just an arrow. So don't just be shooting at and working towards your target be the kind of person that would attract that target to you. In other words, work on the qualities that make you desirable to have on the team or to, you know, to be in the house. And you clearly did that, Robin. When I was illustrating those points in my speech, I told them, here's the field I was in, like when I was involved in the JC, Junior Chamber of Commerce. And I joined as a local chapter member, never been to a meeting like that in my life. I was a 20-something-year-old kid, and I had no experience. And I joined just so that I could learn how to be a business person. And uh, that, I joined in 72. And in 1975, I was the guy at the national headquarters in charge of leadership training for 356,000 members. What? Wow. How's that possible? Well, 
That didn't come to me by me calling them and applying for a job. They called me because of all the other work I had done. Like with Robin, he had done all his other work and gotten himself to where he was qualified. But then that moment is still terrifying because, you know, yeah. it, could just, it, it could be one of those, dang, if only I'd said this instead. You know, he, he turned me off, he, you know, he did. but no, didn't happen that way. Same thing happened with me in the National Speakers Association, two or three other fields in my own life. And I've seen with other folks that when you do the arrow work, shooting at the target, building toward the target, the magnet work makes the big opportunities come to you out of the blue. Where'd that come from? Yeah. Like with Dennis, I, Dennis was, was the head of the Automatic Transmission Rebuilders Association, ATRA, for many years and was my client for 10 years. And we've become friends and co-authors and, you know, it's a lot's grown out of that. But where it came from in the first place, I was on a radio show doing a guest host spot to learn what it would be like to have my own show. And a guy who was a sponsor of the show was on Dennis's board of directors. And he said, Jim, would you like to sit in on one of our board meetings on a committee meeting and uh, offer some ideas? And I said, sure. And that led to 10 years of, of client relationship and an ongoing lifetime friendship. So pretty cool stuff. And it comes to you if you're doing your other work. But it won't if you don't. You know, they say you're lucky. No, I worked myself into a luck position. Same thing for Robin. Worked himself into a Well, the same thing for Trigger. You know, you you got known and active and, and devoted to the marketplace, getting yourself out there with your messages and your, your media. And they said, hey, small business, Washington, D.C. area, come on aboard, right? And so you were invited in. Yeah, it's, 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 it's very cool. But I think there is also, it's, you know, the seize the moment, but. I think we have to take a step back and you have to tell yourself to be ready to seize the moment. There is a preparation of I'm ready for it when it lands, no matter when it lands, I'm going to step into it. And I think a lot of us in general, many people are not mentally prepared to make the step. They, they haven't That's seen big. it. They haven't thought about it. I think you have to be prepared to say, I will say yes when it happens. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't have, if you haven't done more than your homework, if you haven't overfilled your cup, so to speak, you're not going to get a bigger cup. Uh, or if you do, it's just going to expose your weakness and lack of preparation. So whenever I like when I joined the, the board of the National Speakers Association, I memorized. I didn't read. I memorized the bylaws. So I knew our articles of incorporation. I knew that every bylaw every policy and procedure. I mean, I, I, I was an encyclopedia. And when we'd get in a meeting and something would come up, I would quote us and the others would say, well, we need to look at, no, actually you don't, but feel free, you know, and they'd look it up and say, dang, you know, that is right. What, how do you know all this? Day after day after day after day of, you know, preparation. Here's another one. Midwest Solvents out of Atchison, Kansas. 1977, my first big client, They, a friend of mine in the JCs, uh, who was state chairman in Kansas in charge of leadership training programs, and I was the national program manager in, start, in charge of all the programs. His name was Howard Hinton. And he said, Jim, I love the way you teach, and I would like you to come do a presentation or two for our company. And I said, great. He said, we're having our, I don't remember, his 30th anniversary or something like that. And uh, we're going to go down to Oklahoma from Kansas to the Shangri-La Resort on Grand Lake. And we're going to bring our people in in groups of about 30 couples at a time and just celebrate our many years as a company. And I said, well, great. What, you know, how, how do we make that work? And he said, we will pay you $1,000. <laughs> six separate trips from Tulsa to Shangri-La and back 
It's doing two presentations each trip. So the net per engagement was tiny, but $1,000 at one time from one place blew my mind. Actually, I've got the actual receipts from it still to this day. And it was one thousand. Yeah, you showed us those before. Yeah, $1,020. And, and I've got the actual audience, the number in the audience and the topics I talked about and everything in, in those old, old records. Well, anyway, they sent me a, like a newsletter that they had put together for the local community of Atchison, Kansas. And it had photos and short profiles of every one of their managers and, and key people. And I put it on my coffee table at home, and every night I read a couple of pages of it and looked at Robin's picture again and read Robin's bio, where he went to school, how many kids he had, you know, whether he played sports, things like that. And then I'd I'd read Kim's or, or Dennis's or, you know, Ramon's, and I would get those details into my mind again and again and again. Now, I read that every day, that newsletter, every day for 30 days. So I never worked hard at it. I simply went through it again. Well, 30 days of impressions of people's faces and their profiles will get you pretty doggone familiar with them. So when I went to do these engagements at the Shangri-La Resort, I would go to check in, and so would they you know, we're all arriving the same day. And so we're standing around at the front desk and I'd say, hey, Michael, how are you? Uh, who are you? I'm Jim Cathcart. Have we met before? Well, no, we haven't. But of course, you're Michael Butler and, you know, you've got seven kids and you're from East Aurora, New York. And, and you went to school with so-and-so and, and you, you're the world Parcheesi champion from 1971. Oh, my God. How could you possibly know this? And then I'd turn to the other person and I'd do the same thing with them. And they they started talking among themselves, you know, hey, I think this guy's with the CIA or something, you know, but it, it was just that I had done my homework so well that it led to a very powerful experience with that audience. I didn't know how I was going to use all that. It just occurred to me on the spot, kind of like Robin, when he called up Ken Craig and Ken answered, and he he went, well, now what do I do? Oh, well, I'll go back to what I meant to do in the first place. And so uh, that's just to reinforce the need to be, to always do more homework than you ought to do. Because yeah. if you're overprepared, then your opportunity bucket is bigger. You know what happened also, Jim, just to, to add on the end of this deal, um, after kind of the, our company CNN, I mean, TNN uh, went away. They were bought out. ESPN lost a NASCAR contract. And I did the first special for NBC for NASCAR. Our team, we kind of went our own way, still stayed best friends. And we went, went out on our own. The second client I had was the International Speakers Bureau. And it was mm-hmm. producing an event for Michelle the live Lemons, event in yeah. Dallas. Yep. Michelle Lemons. After that, it was so well, they asked me to bring my little team, two guys with me, into their offices in downtown Dallas at I'm the International Speakers from Deep Elm, that's exactly right. And they started parading speakers into me. And ultimately I did, let's see, I've got this graphic if it comes up, 140 speakers that I produced their videos and most of those I coast as well. And Vince Pacenti and Victoria LeBom were two of the early ones that I did videos for. And because I was coming from the entertainment world and had a, a sizzle mindset, selling the sizzle versus a longer form video, that caught on and I got so much business one after the other after the other just by doing those videos and I was recommended by them to other speakers. I wasn't soliciting or marketing, they were reaching out to me. And you say, be ready to say yes, Rich. Yeah. I got asked to uh, speak at conferences. Oh, guess there we go. Look at that. Bringing that back back then. (laughs) Secrets to speaking success. And these are all his various clients. That's kind of a big deal. That was fun. But I started getting asked to do chapter meetings and go speak to chapter. I think I did 18 chapters for NSA on what a speaker, how to be a rock star speaker. And I wasn't a speaker. 
I had been coaching speakers because I knew performance and as a director and so forth. But I figured out a, a program and went out and did that. And I did three national or three regional conferences, and I got to speak on the main stage. And I say New York. Yeah, that was, say Rock, was that was a that big deal. The big deal was was the uh, New York NSA Rocks convention. That and was huge. Kevin Cronin from Mario Speedwagon. Speedwagon and and uh, who were the others? Simon Kirk from Bad Company, and then David Fishoff from the Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp. Yeah. But that was huge. I mean, that was so out of my lane, but yet it opened up the whole door for me to go back and go into speaking. Yeah. I came back into television, and I'm back into speaking now. So it's it's been a kind of on and off. But it all started way back when through really Kevin, Ken, Keith, uh, Ken Cragen, and Trisha Yearwood, actually, and then Victoria LeBaum and, and Vince Pacinti. Yeah. So, Jim, what I'm wondering, yes. listening to Robin here, is it was already noodling on my head, but he's opened up the can of worms now. It's not just one time when you took charge. That's you right. have to keep taking charge. Because if you don't, someone is going to pigeonhole you. Mm-hmm. Because they could have thought Robin was just NASCAR. Robin was just country. Yeah. You, you have to keep making decisions to keep in charge so you will go the way you want to go. Otherwise, as we all know, if we don't decide where we're going, someone else will decide for us. Oh, yeah. yeah. You don't <laughs> so know you have to keep want, making You will, by default, get what other people want. So you have to keep If you look changing. at the arch of your life, you know, the, the kind of a timeline, it goes in waves like that. And there are pivotal moments in each of those. Is that what you were going to say, Robin? Yeah, I tell you, the, the key factor that really propelled us to go forward was the comment that Trisha Yearwood said. Yeah, because literally the the idea that most production companies and most people in television were not out for your best interest. They were out for themselves. And our team, most of us were all believers, number one. So we had a good heart. We you know followed the golden rule. And so my mentor, Bill Landers, who Jim, I've talked to you about before and, and Richie as well, that was poured into me so much. And he was such a people person and he just lit up a room. And so our whole crew, we, we taught them that always going on. We are peers. We are not looking up to them like, wow, we're not going to embarrass ourselves. We're not going to embarrass them. We're not going to ask for pictures. We are going to help them showcase better. And so when she said, you don't have to leave, you guys really are fun. You can stay. That was echoed back to me over and over and over. And Jim, as you know, most of you are rich. I know you do too. Um, you know, my new keynote, the everyday rock star, be the one people want to work with, trust, buy from, and tell others about. Right. That right there is embodied for what happened with Trisha Yearwood, which mm-hmm. opened the door going forward. And as I came into NSA, the same thing. I was, they called me the Simon Cowell, the speaking business, because yeah. I was a truth teller, but with a smile on my face. And I was trying to help the speaker see things because I'm in their videos. I'm watching their videos, you know, for hours to produce these videos, cut them down three one hour, you know, segments down to 12 or 15 minutes at the time. I knew their, their, their content. And so I was helping them be better, not competing against them or not challenging them, but just yeah. they would walk away, go, wow, this was awesome. And then they would send me three or four other speakers. So yeah. it was just one thing after the other. So that's kind of the essence of the new keynote. Um, and I'm excited to get on the stage again with that. So, yeah. but, and you put other people first and you make it about them and help them win. Good luck. You're on the way. Yeah. There's another factor there. Uh, yesterday I was coaching a guy and uh, he was talking about going into a new community and getting active among the, the civic groups and the, you know, the leading organizations in that community. And what I was saying to him was, as you go in there, Assume that you have an equity interest in the organization and that you're the most cooperative, helpful, thoughtful, supportive person in the group. If there's an emergency, be the calmest person in the room, the source of solutions. If there's a problem, be the person who sees to it the problem gets solved quietly. Don't draw attention to yourself. So don't go in and fill the room with your personality. Go in and interact with the people, but assume sort of a quiet ownership. It's like if there's a glare from a window over here that's causing all the people on that side of the meeting to squint and do like this, then just quietly arrange to get the drapes closed or something, right? 
if if some people are disrupting the group, just excuse yourself like you're going to go to the bathroom or something and stop by and say, excuse me, we can hear you really clearly. And and then go on about your business. You know, you don't have to confront anybody. You don't have to be a big deal. Just be a quiet, positive influence. And other people will say, you know, I, I want you in our meetings more often. Those that know how to run a meeting, they get that. But most people, they'll read a book like Robert's Rules of Order, and then they try to impose it like it's law. Yeah. No, you're I call that <laughs> say that right. You're supposed to say I move, not I make a motion. Uh, yeah, uh, give me a break. Let's, hey, Jim. Let's just tell the truth. Yes, Rich. Jim, I'm just thinking we haven't heard from Lisa, from Kim, from Ramon. If they have any thoughts, comments to, to chime in on the, hey, the day you took charge of it. Yeah, I'm listening and enjoying, man. I uh, I don't Very have good. a specific uh, day I took charge, but it's good to be here and keep going. I'm listening. I'm listening. Very good. Well, well, the thing that I want to emphasize here is there there's a point in everybody's life when they decide that they're ready to be a grown up of some sort. There's a point in their either in their youth or in their early adulthood when they stop riding the train and start moving into the conductor's seat and uh, and start advising the engineer on what needs to happen next. I remember when I was very little, one day I came home and uh, the front yard needed some gardening work and I just did it. And my mother commented later, Why, did your dad tell you to do that? No. Did I ask you to do that? No. I just did it because it was it needed doing. Wow. That's the first time you've ever done that. And I don't know how old I was, but that was kind of a moment where I took an assumption of ownership in the situation and just made it right instead of waiting for somebody else to give me the power, the authority, the reminder or the order to go and do it. And Michael, if you're still able to interact with us, I know you're driving your car. Is there a particular moment that you remember as sort of the turning point when you said, okay, everything else get out of the way. I'm going to take charge of my life and make it work. You know, I, I grew up on the farm, and so we uh, we had a list of chores to do every day. I've always just kind of been self-motivated. I think for me, I wanted to uh, move out of the house when I was 18. So when I went off to college, I, I I left for college the week after high school graduation. And I rented a two-bedroom townhouse, and I uh, subleased it out to a couple of uh my my friends and roommates. So I, I was a landlord and I was subleasing the townhouse and uh, they had to share a room and I had the master king and I had to pay the bills. And that was kind of my point to say, I'm never going back home. I've got to eat what I kill. So I better yeah. always be hunting. And so that's, that was kind of my turning point. I think we just going to college. You know, when I was in college, I was not in charge. I was waiting for the teachers and, and the other disciplinary people in my life to tell me what I needed to do and when and how. And I was just kind of going along and enjoying the party. And that would explain why I didn't have a degree or good grades in college. But, you know, luckily, I turned it around before the, the truck went off the cliff. Kim, we haven't heard a comment from you yet. Are you in a position where you can interact with us? I was trying to think. This is my first time sitting in on yeah. Wisdom Wednesday. Welcome. And so, yeah, I'm excited. I guess um, a turning point day for me. I just remember one day looking at my boss and thinking, why do I need you? And that led me to hang up my shingle and grow a company. So it was that was definitely a turning point day for me. Dynamite. Dynamite. And that's a shift of state, you know, like Tony Robbins talks about getting into the right state of mind uh, when you're doing the firewalk. I did that years ago with him. I and did it. Firewalker, firewalker. Yep. There you go. And if you're not in the right state of mind, you're very, very likely to have severe burns. But I walked, you know, like 300 other people that night, I walked barefoot on the hot coals for about I don't know, 20 feet or something like that with my full body weight pressing down on the on the glowing red coals. And I got through it unharmed. But state, 
what changes your state of mind, firewalking aside, that's a major distraction. I don't want to go down that road right now. What changes your state of mind is the part of you that is not your mind. It is not your body. It is not your personality. It's the spirit that, that occupies all of that. It's the essence of you, the one who has a body, has a mind. You know, people say, well, no, you're, you're pretty much, you're in your mind. No. Why would you say my mind and indicate ownership if it's the mind talking about itself? No, there's a you that transcends all these physical things and all these synapses and such. And that's the you that at some point or another steps forward and says, okay, enough, enough. I'll handle this, right? Can say, Dennis, any comments, observations on this? Yes, I, I was waiting patiently for my turn. <laughs> now, I wanted to uh, add a, or just comment rather on Robin's story and message. And I, and I really enjoyed that, Robin. And it reminds me of something that I think about regularly. And that is people like doing business with people they like. So into Jim's point, when you're helpful, uh, like we've commented about, you're not like the other people. You're fun to be with. That that really does work. That really does work. Yeah. Love it. That was it. Thank you. Jim, Thank I you. opened up for the people that hear- are listening on the podcast. Yeah, I'm- I want to I want to hear from Ramon. Oh, uh, okay. Ramon, this, jump back in. If, if you will, step in and, and give us a pearl of wisdom, Ramon. What What's your take on this? Yeah, I think uh, on control. I mean, yeah, I think. See that smile I was talking about? There you go. (laughs) Thank you, Jim. (laughs) Of taking control, I think the control is one is very relative. I believe that you can't control what you can't control. And I think that, yes, as we've heard, sometimes it's important to to grow up and not be a little boy or be a little girl. I just uh, came from my volunteering for a week at my church's uh, uh, summer camp for boys. And it hit me that little boys aren't men. I forgot that. I forgot little boys weren't men. That when served dripping on the side of the table, little boys will stare at it and wonder, oh, serves dripping. Maybe somebody <laughs> should get it. I forgot. So I think yes. And I think that also, last thing I'll share, Jim, and, and Sugar and everybody is that every day sometimes don't we have to take control. Even at the age of 51 in December, you know, I can be an idiot sometimes, whether in my personal life or in business. And and so that's my two cents. <laughs> Thank you. That's one of my major life skills, being an idiot once in a while. Yeah. My <laughs> wife tells me that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Back to you, Trigger. Thank you, Ramon. No, I was just thinking about the audio audience on the replay as we've been in the group talking about this. But yeah. for those listening on the podcast, Jim, turn on the mentor hat for a second. Okay. You have a student come to you. They're having struggles with getting control by grabbing the steering wheel and being in charge. What wisdom of pearl would you give to our listeners on how to get that mindset and move into being in charge? Thank you for the question, Rich. Um, I think it's important to be thoughtful, to be reflective, to to savor not only the experiences, but the ideas. It's like I was quoting earlier Mark Randolph of Netflix when he said, I'm a morning person. I like that quiet time where I can sit and think. Well, that's very important to me. And that kind of goes with the concept of introvert, extrovert. The popular definition of an extrovert is an outgoing person. That's not what Carl Jung had in mind in the first place. An extrovert gets their recharge, their battery charge from out there, from other people. If they're not connected with other people, their battery's running down. An introvert gets their recharge from being alone, from taking time to think and reflect. I remember talking about personality types once with Zig Ziglar. We were in Toronto for a convention long ago, 1980. And I had been talking about personality types because I I used to do that full time back in the day. He said, well, Jim, he said, 
everybody sees me as what you call a socializer, you know, the high eye, that outgoing person. He said, but he said, I'm, I'm really thoughtful and reflective. You know, I, I like my quiet alone time. I need it. And that's true because introversion and extroversion is not a personality trait. Introversion and extroversion is kind of like how you're wired. So if you look at it, not in the social definition, but in the scientific or psychological definition, you need either the contact with other people or the quiet time with yourself in order to recharge your batteries and be able to operate at optimum. Because I know for sure, if I don't get some quiet time, I'm going to be a jerk sooner or later. I am. I just know it. And, and, and how I discovered that first was early in my marriage with Paula. Paula's an extrovert and, and very much a connector and, and always reaching out and just, you know, just glows in that role. And her family, they had a little bitty house, like 1200 square foot home with five kids, mom and dad plus five kids in a little tiny cracker box house with a carpool or carport on one end. And they were always on top of each other. And they would invite people from the church to come sleep over. I mean, good <laughs> heavens, they're stacking them up like cordwood, right? And so when I would go over there on a Sunday or, or something, you know, after a church event, because that was the, the, the center of their world at the time, they're going all day long. And I get to a point where I can feel it coming. You know, I can feel that I, I really need to kind of withdraw because it's just it's like when you've had too much caffeine and you can feel the, the nervousness. It's that sort of a feeling. And I would say, excuse me, you know, I'm, I'm going to go down to the corner and, you know, see if if they still carry Frito corn chips. What? I don't know. You know, make up an excuse. See if the paint's still blue. But get me out of here. And extroverts don't understand that at first. You know, they think, stay. everybody wants you. People like you. You know, stay, stay around. I will just give me a minute. I got to go out there and make sure I can be okay with it when I get back. Right. And so I, it wouldn't matter. I could go stand and look at a tree. It could be anything that was a non stimulating environment that allowed me to just calm down, reflect, observe, and then re engage. Right. And that's important, I think, to understand. So when you when you have a moment where it's one of those, okay, I'm going to take charge of my life at this point. When you have that moment, it's important to spend plenty of time reflecting on what does that mean to you? What does it feel like? Why is it important to you? What are you trying to do? How does that matter? And how can you connect this to the other things going on in your life? One other comment, and then I'll... I'll, I'll throw it over to you. We wanted to hear from Lisa here. Um, when I was in the JCs, one of the first things I learned was project planning. The JCs Junior Chamber of Commerce, their their medium was community service, but their purpose was leadership training. So if you were going to do a community service project, you had to fill out a chairman's planning guide and submit it before you do the project. First question. What is my current primary goal? In other words, why do I want to do this? Second question, how does this relate to all the other priorities I've got going on? In other words, okay, yeah, I want to, let's say, get a new car, or I want to start a new, develop a new product for my business. Second question is, how does this fit in with everything else? Because if it doesn't, it's going to be a distraction from everything else and pull your energy away from that, that probably was still needed in the everything else category. So that kind of uh, discipline and thinking through things, what's my, what am I, why am I doing this? Yeah, but why that? And why does that matter to me? And what does that mean? Okay, that there's the real issue right there. Now then, how does this fit in with everything else? It doesn't. Okay, push it aside. We'll get to it later. It does. Okay, I'm putting my full force of my personality into it. 
So that was that was kind of a key thought process. Lisa Marie. From well, thank Memphis. you. Not Lisa Marie Presley, but right. Lisa Marie from Memphis, the more substantial Lisa Marie. Correct. She was named after me, and right. they there also named a plane after me here in Memphis. And if you ever come to Memphis and go to Graceland, you can see my plane named Lisa Marie. Taking care of business. <laughs> Absolutely. TCB. No, but I, I totally agree. I believe that we are all the captains of our own destiny. I believe that we all have uh, pivotal moments in life. I certainly have shared some of those pivotal moments in my life that have forever changed me. I've also learned that no two journeys are alike. So what might work for one person might or might not work for the next. Here, Robin had opportunity knocking at his door and window, and he walked right through with confidence and was very successful because I got to a point where I'm like, I can't understand it. I'm following this person's rules. I'm following this person's, you know, system or, you know, operation and you just have to take it one day at a time with confidence, with skill, with ability. And I knew this. I knew I knew what my goal and my journey and my desire in life was. And I work on it every single day, more than once a day. Sometimes I sit down for an hour and then I look up and I go, oh, it's three hours and I've been reading this. I got so into it. So I think we all have our own special journey. I think what's so fabulous about our form and what we're doing is we have an opportunity to share it with other people so we can all learn and grow together. Beautiful. Thank you for that. That was lovely. I appreciate that. Yes. Hey, before we wind down, we want to hear about that. See something, say something or say something, see something. What are you talking about, Jim? Well, (laughs) one of the habits I developed many years ago, back in in my JC's days, 1970s, was to practice the art of paying compliments. Now, it's easy to say, hey, that's a nice shirt, you know, or you look good today or boy, I like your car or things like that. It's easy to pay compliments, but most of us don't. uh, So that's a nice starting point, but that's superficial. If you really want to be a skilled complimenter, then learn to look beyond the the obvious and look at what's what's driving that, what's behind it, what, what matters more than that. I remember years ago, this was just a simple, superficial thing, but I was in South Dakota in 1975. Oh my gosh. In the airport. And I was, I was in the coffee shop having a, at the airport, having a a quick breakfast. And there was a, a server who was just gorgeous. I just thought she was the prettiest thing I'd ever seen. Well, I didn't have any designs on her romantically, and I didn't want to embarrass her or feel make her feel like I was going to be hitting on her. But I did want to pay her a compliment because I think if a compliment doesn't get paid, it dies and lays around as debris. So I wrote a note for her and I said, excuse me. I don't want to embarrass you or make you feel awkward, and I'm certainly not hitting on you, but I don't believe compliments should ever go unstated. You are one of the loveliest people I've seen in a long time. Have a nice day. And so I left that on the table, and when I got up to leave, I said, excuse me, there's a note for you on the table, and I left the restaurant, did not look back, because looking back would indicate I was truly trying to do something different. But One time I was in the Atlanta airport in the food court, and there was a guy who was a a busboy, you know, cleaning the tables and picking up trash. And he was dragging himself around looking like it was the worst day of his life and that he had just been beaten with a club or something. It was awful. And so I'm sitting there having a muffin and a cup of coffee and watching this guy. And I think, you know, somebody ought to do something. So I throw away my trash and I walk over to him and I tap him on the shoulder and he kind of recoils like he's getting in trouble. 
And I said, excuse me. And he said, yeah. And I said, what you're doing sure makes a difference. He said, no, I didn't. I, I, I didn't. I said, and excuse me, what you're doing sure makes a difference. Because he thought I was accusing him or blaming him or criticizing him. And uh, he said, well, huh? And I said, look at this restaurant. Look at all these people. There are thousands of people through here every day. And the ones that stop here, they always leave, you know, some kind of a mess. And you're cleaning it up and keeping this a nice place to be. And if you didn't do that, we wouldn't want to come in here. So I just wanted to point out that what you're doing sure makes a difference. And I appreciate you doing it. See ya. And I walked away. Well, this guy is stunned into immobility for a moment. And he's just standing there like he's got to process this. And I guess nobody had ever spoken to him like that in a positive way. And um, so as I walked away, when I got a chance, I glanced back. And I think the guy had grown 12 inches. He was standing taller. Now, he wasn't transformed. He didn't become a bubble machine and start greeting people. He just went from depressed to confident and started doing his work from a very different state. Now, the question needs to be asked. Do you think his change of state showed up in his work? Absolutely. Yes. Oh, yeah. Do you think Absolutely. it changed the way he interacted with other people? Absolutely. Yeah. Now, temporarily, probably, maybe not permanent by any means, but it was a moment that made a difference. So see something, say something means when you have a moment like that and the opportunity to to offer that kind of a blessing, so to speak, by all means do it because they will remember it for a long time time. And so will you, Robin. And then we've got a wrap. Rich, do, you have, do you have a moment for a real quick story about real Kevin Cronin? We're, we're over time, but do it. I was in the airport uh, after having been at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for a showcase and Colonel, Lieutenant Colonel Kevin Sweeney was with me. And we were in the, in the Admiral's um, Lounge there at the airport. And yep. across the way was Kevin Cronin. And a couple other guys from uh, other groups that weren't part of the members of REO Speedwagon. But Kevin and we're, we're kind of watching him. I had not met Kevin at that point. Huh. I said, Kevin, do you know who that guy is over there? Uh, no, I don't know. You remember REO Speedwagon? The band? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's the lead singer. Over there. That's Kevin Cronin. Oh, wow. Cool. Cool. And went on about his way talking. Well, Kevin walks out. We don't say anything. And there's people following him and, you know, looking at him and kind of, you know, asking for autograph and so forth. He was nice and everything. Then a few minutes later, he comes back in, kind of panicked and stuff. He had lost his glasses and his one of his uh, notebooks, and he was coming in asking, you know, at the, at the front oh. desk, "Has anyone seen, you know, has anyone seen my my notebook or my glasses? Can uh, can you find my my server or you know whatever?" And he was so nice, and people were coming around him, and he was being very polite, but you know, he was panicking because sure. my flight's leaving in about seven minutes. Can is there anyone that can help me? And Kevin's watching him and he goes, wow. Now you got two Kevin's in this story. Yeah. Kevin Sweeney is the, is the Colonel. I'll call him the Colonel. The Colonel yeah. said, wow, he seems like a pretty good guy. I said, yeah, he does. And he goes, he, you know, he could be arrogant. I think most people would probably be pretty, pretty ticked off or something because he thought someone had taken it on his yeah. tray and uh, he was late. And so he's being very polite. The person comes over and says, oh, I'm so sorry. He goes, no. Don't worry. It was my fault. Thank you for keeping it. Thank you for finding it. You are just a blessing. Thank you so much. He was so grateful. He leaves. So Colonel goes, wow, that's pretty cool. I think he's more of a rock star right then and there in that moment than he is on stage. And I don't even know how he is on stage. So cut to NSA. I'm hosting the panel of rock stars and I'm interviewing them and I've sent them questions prior to our conversation. So they have an idea of the lane we wanted to go down. And um, uh, they would vamp, of course. And so in the midst of all this stuff, I bring this up about Kevin. And I tell that story. Kevin's embarrassed. He's just like, you know, so humble about it all. And um, he gets a standing ovation after that ends, uh, That story. I remember over. I was one of those in the audience giving him the standing ovation. standing up for that. Yeah. Here's what no one knows. Backstage, he grabbed me and says, Robin, I cannot believe you said that. 
And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, he's tickles. Yeah, you're in trouble. That was the most touching thing I think I've ever heard. I had no idea. I wasn't trying to be that guy. Yeah. But thank you. Thank thank you so much. He was overwhelmed how grateful and how moved. I was overwhelmed how moved he was about it. So it, 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 I got kind of scared for a minute there, but he was Let's just really... see something, say something, and look at the difference yeah. it made. Wow. Yes. Thank you. Trigger, yes. take it home. Yeah, what a great wisdom parlor again today. Thank you. And again, thank you everyone for shared, participated. We got a double dip today. See something, say something. Of course, talking about the day you took charge. Three simple takeaways today. Mindset, learn to be ready and step into the moments, and learn to evaluate as other opportunities arrive. Once again, we'll be back next month. Don't forget, this is sponsored by the Cathcart Institute Experts Academy, a 12-month membership that results in people receiving the CPE, Certified Professional Expert Designation, and to book a call with Jim and determine if you are a great fit for that exclusive program, go to schedule.com. I've, oh, I've sorry. revised that. My mistake. I'm not telling you. All right. It's All right. in the chat, but it's bit.ly slash call Cathcart. Say that one more time. bit.ly slash call Cathcart. And if you do want a copy of Jim's book, What to Do When You Are the Speaker, free.cathcart.com. Join us again next month. We'll be here Wednesday, September the 6th, when the Wisdom Parlor door will open up once again. We're going to discuss and explore another topic with great wisdom, great insights, with award-winning and world-class speaker, leader, mentor, best-selling author, Jim Cathcart. Until then, I'm Rich Bontrager. We'll see you next month. Thank you for joining us today in the Wisdom Parlor, a thoughtful discussion of important ideas among people who are committed to succeeding in life. If you are committed to making more success happen in your own life, go right now to my website, free.cathcart.com, and download my free ebook, and then watch the video. If you decide that you'd like my assistance in helping grow your success, then come with me and let's discover how much more successful you can be.